0: One of the things that we don't really do much in our society is think back to those really formative years and the things that helped us Mm. and helped us to become who we are. We get so focused in on, you know, how are we comparing ourselves to our competitors or what are our friends up to, or do I need to go see this or how much money do I make? And what we probably would find a lot more meaning out of is taking a step back, remembering some of those really significant blessings from our childhood years or our teenage years and try to recreate those same emotions and feelings today.
1: Mm. And that's why nostalgia is very important, right? And it's, it's selling as well in the business world. People want to go back. People want to experience their childhood again. And yeah. I am a firm believer, just as you, that what happens in our childhood, how we grow up uh, at college, university, or predominantly at home, defines our future. Oh, big time.
0: Yeah, there's a, there's some great stuff. A guy named Dr. Bruce Lipton, if you haven't heard of him, I would really encourage you to, to keep an eye out for him because he has been studying the five brainwave states. And what he's identified is, is that from, uh, for all human beings, regardless of on, where you're at on Earth, right from birth until age six, your brain is in something called the theta brainwave state. And then after age six, right, it's in the beta brainwave state. And so those very uh, kind of formative years for us really do shape the way that we perceive the rest of our lives. And so Mm -hmm. when we are in those very younger years, uh, kind of in the theta brainwave state, absorbing the environment, understanding what it means to be a member of the family or being acculturated into a specific society, we then carry those mental models, if you will, with us for the rest of our lives. And so we can look back on those really wonderful moments from our childhood, our teenage years, our early 20s. And pull from that, a lot of really interesting learnings, our core values, lessons learned, things we do or don't want to do. But we also have to remember that sometimes as we navigate life, get to be 40, 50, 60 years of age, those mental models can actually stop us from accomplishing the various things that we want to, right? So gr- life is just really this series of of stages, if you will, and opportunities for growth. But for everybody listening, if you haven't heard of Dr. Bruce Lipton, I think mm-hmm. he's a really great guy to look into and understand why your brain functions the way that it does.
1: Yeah, and it's a very complex <laughs> structure, the brain itself. It's like, and I agree to what you said earlier, sometimes the things you go through, like good or bad, it really defines who you are. And it sometimes I've noticed, um, especially for myself, it sometimes raises hurdles in some things that I can do and can't do. And um, I was looking at a few of your, um, your works as well and your portfolio, and we've, uh, you've discussed a lot about unlocking the human potential. And we'd love to go into that further today as well. Uh, but officially, uh, Michael, welcome to Bottled. Thank you so much, Sahil, for having me. <laughs> I appreciate you. <laughs> no, absolutely, and thank you for making time out of your busy schedule. Um, I'm sure you've you've got a lot on your plate, especially after moving cross country from Phoenix to North Carolina. Said, yeah, yeah, we certainly do. But
0: I love conversations like this, and I love being able to plant little seeds in folks' minds, or I love to be able to give folks just a little bit of hope. So. These conversations mean a ton to me. So, thanks
1: for giving me a vehicle to do so. No, not a problem at all. And thank you for, for coming here. Uh, so, Michael, just a bit about you. Uh, I haven't read your book. And the reason why is, uh, I, I, uh, like in the past during interviews, I read the book and then spoke to whoever was uh, in the podcast. And I think it takes away the feeling of amusement. Like it mm-hmm. takes, because I know a lot about you already. And having this conversation, there is uh, that that fact that's in my mind that, oh, I know this story. I, d- I don't want to have that. But I've got your uh, the book ready to be downloaded there. Uh, and after the conversation, I'd love to read that as well. Good. But tell us a bit about yourself, Michael. Who yeah. are you?
0: Yeah. Oh, gosh. So thank you for that's a hard uh, question. being ready. <laughs> thank you for being uh, willing to read the book. It's, it's kind of my life's work in just over 200 pages, uh, about 54,000 words. And so um, I'll tell you some of the stories from inside the book while we talk today, but hopefully you dive down in and get a little bit more of a window into to who Michael is. But as I mentioned already, I was raised in a very small town in Michigan in the United States. The town was about 2,500 people, very, very small, very homogeneous mindset. <laughs> and I worked in the family's landscaping and lawn maintenance business, which was started in 1953, and it's still in the mm-hmm. family today, right? So a uh, very good experience to learn hard work to learn uh, kind of integrity, to learn customer service from a very, very young age. But inside of working for your family, right, there's also challenges and hardships and that everything kind of had to be done the way that my grandfather or my father wanted it. So I never really felt authentic. I always felt like a robot inside their business. And they both made a really, really good amount of money. They've made really significant impacts in on the communities that, that we've worked in and lived in. Uh, but there was also just that feeling for me that there was something more, and I didn't know what it was, but I just felt like there was something more. So in the year 2003, I was 23 years old, I decided to get married and to leave Michigan to move to the state of Arizona and, and to live in Phoenix, Arizona. Okay. And really, really big transformation and adjustment for me because I was raised in this small, homogeneous mindset environment in West Michigan. And then you go to an environment that's effectively a melting pot of you know 5-6 million people from all over the world. And that really forced my growth and development really quickly. Thankfully, I was able to get a job at the Four Seasons Resort in North Scottsdale. And there were probably 10 or 11, maybe 12 different countries represented inside the employee base there. So it was my first real exposure to interacting with folks from around the world.
1: Mm -hmm. And
0: I got to meet a lot of celebrities, of course, because the Four Seasons was kind of the cool place that celebrities would go to. And so it was a really fun experience for me for a few years to do that, to work in the hospitality industry, to anticipate someone's needs, to really look at customer service through a new lens, to be exposed to new friends, play a lot of golf. I love to play golf. Phoenix is great for hiking. I was able to do a lot of hiking. But there was also kind of those hardships as we're navigating this growth. My wife and I at the time were kind of growing in opposite directions. Mm
2: -hmm. And so
0: once it got to be about 2008, uh, she left me right? She asked for a divorce. And one of the most difficult things that I have ever been through up until that point, because I was unable to recognize or see how we were growing apart in the first five years of our life together in Phoenix. So I'll never forget a Friday morning when she said that she was going to leave because I knew effectively what that meant was, is that she was leaving. We were going to have to sell the house Mm -hmm. and I was out of money, right? Effectively. And so as the universe had it, Three days later, on Monday morning, I was starting my degree program at the Thunderbird School of Global Management. So I went from divorce and despair and wonderment to Mm -hmm. being able to begin something completely anew in the same weekend. Uh, And that is where my life transformed astronomically. This is where I became a coach. And so as uh, as a student there, we were given career coaches that were there to help us and guide us. And as I was talking to mine, her name was Pam she said a number of things, gave me a number of assessments. And at the time, it didn't really make a whole lot of sense. But she Mm -hmm. said, hey, based on all of the feedback here, you're going to do really well in human resources, in leadership. Uh, At the time, coaching really wasn't a thing, but she was kind of guiding me to be a coach. Mm -hmm. And so, really difficult transformation to exit this relationship and to begin this degree program. Uh, But in January of 2009, I was able to travel to the country of China and learn Mm -hmm. a little bit uh, there through the degree program. But being in Eastern nations, being in China was so interesting to me that I came back to the United States and spent the next two semesters learning Mandarin Chinese. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And that to me was a really big transformative period because I never thought that I would ever do something like that. And then to do it basically in six months was a big, big thing, Mm -hmm. but As a second-year student, I was asked to coach first-year students, and that was where I knew for the rest of my life that I was going to be a coach. And so I went through my second year of getting the MBA and finishing it, and then I immediately went to a large healthcare system to be the director of talent sourcing. And so in 2009, 2010, I was in this process of serving in a large corporate setting, Mm. and I realized how struggle-filled that was for me. And I'll never forget one day I was driving on the freeway to be able to get to the office in my mm-hmm. brand new car coming out of my big, nice house with my relatively yeah. nice paycheck. And we, we came to a stop on the freeway that was like, and I looked around me and I'll never forget just bawling uncontrollably because I was like, I'm a part of the rat race. Like I'm, I'm making good money, but I'm making a bunch of money for someone else. And I'm not really helping anyone, mm. right? That always was a big struggle for me. And so I promised myself that month that I would stop working for the very large entity about six or seven months later. So thankfully in October, Mm -hmm. 2011, I started coaching in my business full-time. So it's been 10 years almost to this month that I've been coaching. Mm -hmm. And that in and of itself has been a pretty wild ride too, because I have started out as a career coach. And then as time passed and progressed, I was able to uh, coach on communication strategies and tactics. And then as a little bit of things shifted in 2015, 2016, I became more of a personal branding or executive branding coach. And then as time passed a little bit, I was able to do uh, a little bit more of organizational change and development coaching and consulting. Um, And so 18, 19, 20 was really focused on that. And in 2020, I decided to uh, write a book, um, which you just referenced a minute ago, and it was published at the very beginning of this year. And so mm-hmm. at the beginning of 2021 is when the book was formally published. And so it's been out in the market for about 10 months now. And as I mentioned, it does tell my story and I'll give you just a little bit of context if you don't mind to heal with daughter, if you do. Yep. <laughs> the, uh, the, one of the things that is really important to me is what, how I opened the book, the introduction mm-hmm. to the book. And I think this will probably land a lot with your listeners is in July and August of 2018, I decided to leave a romantic relationship that I was in for about six years. And so at the same time as I made this choice to leave this romantic relationship, her daughter was going to college.
2: Mm. And
0: so July, August of 2018, right, I was exiting this really important romantic relationship. We were sending her daughter off to college and I was really struggling. I was really lost. So then when it came to the time that I was like, okay, I'm going to take December, January, February. To really invest in my business. And so I started to try some things with online courses and in person workshops in January, February, March of 2019 that were not working, right? I was Mm -hmm. making no money, I was losing a bunch of money, it was a challenge. And so I'll never forget the day. And this is the story I tell at the beginning of the book is about how in May of 2019, I was so nervous, so anxious, so worried about not having a romantic partner, my stepdaughter being off at college, these things in my business not working. And I was basically out of money, right? I yeah. was at that point of despair. And so I sat there and was on the ground of my bedroom, just mm-hmm. contemplating suicide. Like, what am I What am I doing? Like, what's the point of all of this if it's going to be so rough all the time, so hard? And Cleopatra, my cat, is not an affectionate animal, right? She is very mm-hmm. independent. She's kind of standoff if she does what she wants. Cats. But for some reason, <laughs> but for some reason, In that moment, she came over and laid on my chest and she just started purring with a very loud and deep resonance that I had never seen from her in the first X number of years that I had had her. And it was in that moment that everything started to make sense, Mm -hmm. right? It started to kind of connect for me where I was like, okay, there's something else going on here. I need to stay on earth because I have a bigger calling right today i'm an executive coach i'm a leadership consultant i'm a speaker i'm an author i'm in the business of unlocking human potential right i'm in the business of making mm-hmm. people uh, feel okay with the fact that there's hope there's always hope for them after they come out of some sort of a hardship and so mm-hmm. i say all of that to say right is that through all of these ups and downs in this journey what i really want people to really remember about all the ups and downs is that it really comes down to authenticity right? We're here on earth to learn specific curriculum, to have specific experiences, to interact with specific people. Mm-hmm. And if you can do that in your most authentic way or self, I think that that's the most powerful thing you can do.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And <laughs> one of the most incredible things about your story there is just the things that you've been through. And I'd like to start by saying a lot of people, um, like, I, I love these conversations because it, it inspires me and motivates me, but there are a gamut of people who don't believe in someone trying to coach you or someone trying to lead you a certain way. They believe that words your words or someone like um, someone a, a, a person like you in a certain industry those words don't matter because inspiration comes from within, but that's incorrect. Some people go through certain experiences that gives them certain knowledge that others may not have and that's exactly what you're doing and from your story i can really you know to to take three things out i'd say number one the fact that you started studying at the thunderbird college um i think that was a big change in your life as well because of the fact that there was something new happening it's like a start of a new journey and that's something that people Need to look forward to in their lives as well, uh, from what I've noticed is that look for something new, start something new in order to sort of grab new experiences and you mentioned going to China as well, which is something that I'd love to discuss um, um later on as well regarding the cultural differences and what really shifted in you that you had to make this massive change, come back to the u s and uh, and live your life accordingly and um yeah, third, being a part of the rat race. Let's let's talk about that, Michael. Being a part of the rat race and why is okay. that a um, an epidemic right now? Yeah, yeah. We're we're seeing it in America. I'm not sure about
0: for you in Australia, Sahil, but in America, the the media is positioning it as though it's the Great Resignation. And you know, from their perspective or from the corporate perspective, I'm I'm sure that that's a, a fair way to describe it. I like to look at it through another lens, which is through the lens of People are finally learning that they have the, the, the wherewithal to creatively express themselves. And so, what, what March and April of 2020 taught many Americans is that they are far more capable of change than they've ever given themselves credit for because they learned effectively overnight that they could work from home, that they could homeschool their children, uh, that they could lead very productive and successful lives without ever having to be a part of the rat race by driving into an office. Right. And so we're in this place now where they learned they're capable of change and they learned that they could manage things in ways they hadn't considered before. And so as the stay at home orders continued, they built confidence, right? They built clarity, they built courage. And that's why we're seeing people push back against kind of these tried and true systems because there are more effective ways for people to be able to have good work life integration, Mm. right? We do, it's great that we all work and we make money, but we also want to make sure that there's this integration where we spend time with our family, that we have time for self awareness and healing, and that we have time for experiences. So I think pre 2000 or 2020, uh, work life balance didn't really exist because everybody thought that they had to be a part of the rat race in order to be accepted into a group. And then all of a sudden, 2020, 2021 taught people. That they didn't have to be a part of the rat race, that they could be accepted via a group without having
1: to be in the rat race. See what yeah. I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I talk to a lot of my friends, and uh, one thing that really comes out quite often is, is very common is not a lot of people are happy with their jobs. Not a lot of people are happy with nine to five, regardless of which organization you work for. Um I've worked in various industries for example retail like which is a very fast paced environment very customer facing and I've worked in an office environment as well where you're sort of protected physically from uh from contact with the outside consumer world but I think what what's really made me happy in all these years of working is the fact that uh, the the feeling of family as in the feeling of being in a team and just having this close contact with people uh, but where do you think this is headed now with, um, with everybody starting to work from home? Like your work becomes um, something that you can do from home, like you said as well, but you lose this intimacy, you lose physical connection with people in the office. How is that going to affect um, us as humans, do you think?
0: I think the, the focus is going to shift. So people are still going to have a lot of time connecting with other humans face to face but it's not going to be in an office, right? So what I think is going to occur is that we will continue for a very long period of time of working from anywhere or having a hybrid schedule where one or two days we're in an office, but the other days we're not. So my gut tells me is that the vast majority of workers will do work from anywhere, wherever they want. And instead of having face-to-face time with their colleagues, which they can have virtually, which they can manufacture emotions and manufacturer experiences virtually with their colleagues and still get a lot done, still have meaningful connection. But I think what we're Mm -hmm. going to see is we're going to see a recalibration of tribes. And what Mm -hmm. I mean by that is, is that we historically in the last 2000 years, we found meaning by being associated with a tribe of some bigger brand. We were members of the alumnus group of this university, or we liked such and such football team or mm. we really worked for this particular company. Like we found meaning by being a part of that tribe right? that had that similar connection. So instead of finding meaning from being a part of those corporate centralized hierarchies, we're going to shift and we're going to continue to work in that way, but from anywhere. And instead, mm. what we're going to do is people are going to find meaning by being associated with other people who have similar core values and similar interests or passions. Mm -hmm. And so as we move further into the gig economy and people continue the great resignation away from centralized hierarchies, they're going to dissolve, right? They're going to, they won't disappear, but they're going to dissolve and be less powerful. And we're going to shift into an environment where a lot of the relationships that we have are local to a geography, but they're also local to people who have similar core values, similar interests, similar life's missions, or similar passions. Mm -hmm. So I think the meaning will still exist. But we're going to get it from a different environment.
1: Yeah, it sort of sounds like nature is doing its job. As in the pandemic happened, and there's this huge change out of nowhere. People started working from home, and as you mentioned, it's 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 start of of something new. Something I think is incredible and interesting to see where we are headed with this. Oh, it I just, agree. And
0: it, when you think about it, Sahil, there's. You know, uh, astrologists, well, in America, NASA calls it the precession of the equinoxes, right? So the, the magnetic north and south poles shift every 2,000 years. Mm-hmm. And what astrologists call it is uh, kind of the, what was the 2,000 years prior to 2012. That was the age of Pisces. That's what the astrologists mm-hmm. call it, right? Now, since 2012, we've been making this really uh, quick transition earthwise into what's called the age of Aquarius. And in the age of Aquarius, people will find meaning by understanding their own life's purpose, right? So instead of associating with some other tribe, you're going to find it by understanding who you are in your own heart. Mm. And that transition is going really well. Now, it seems like in society, there's a lot of tumult, right? It seems like there's a lot of things that are hard. But oftentimes, when you're making a big transformation in your life, the bad or the negative or the dark needs to come to the light first in order for us to release it then we can sit in an emotional neutral zone to experiment and try with something Mm -hmm. new. And then after we've had some time for experimentation, then we can move into something very different. So my intuition tells me is that for the remainder of 2021, we'll experience some more tumult. It'll be challenging and difficult. But 2022, at some point, maybe late Q1, probably into Q2, we're going to start to see a much bigger focus in on people loving and caring for one another, forming mm-hmm. deep and meaningful bonds, a lot more collaboration, a lot more community and people coming together in ways that they would not have before. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be, I'll use the word utopian, but I'm going to use it lightly, right? Cause it takes time to get to that kind of society. So I imagine that 2023, 2024, we're going to be in a very, very different place, but we still have to do some releasing of the negative stuff this year. To allow for people to heal in 2022 and then 23, 24, 25 is when you're going to start to see some really significant growth in society based on collaboration, not Mm. based on centralized hierarchies.
1: Mm. One thing's going to happen for sure um, in in a lighter perspective that we will appreciate the normal things in life much more like traveling or going to a concert or grabbing a drink with your friend or just going out. And not thinking about the four essential reasons to leave home, right? It's <laughs> uh, Because lockdown just ended in Canberra about two days ago. And mm. um, before uh, during the lockdown, when you leave home, you think about a reason. Oh, okay, I'm going shopping, so I'm doing the right thing. But now you don't, and it just feels so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, obviously, it's the, it's the right thing. But that's what's um, going to happen. And uh, as you mentioned, it, it was sort of, sort of meant to be. And I think I have great hope for the future. I do believe that human beings innately are good. Like, we do Mm -hmm. have good intentions. There are crime. There's a lot of problem in certain parts of the world, even where we are. But innately, we do try to do good.
3: Yeah, I agree.
1: And, And you're right. So I think that we're coming to this place where people will
0: understand more about themselves, their lives, missions, their core values, the lessons they've learned, what it is they want to be associated with in the future. But they're also going to have time for exactly what you just said, which is for the experiences that matter most to them. Family, you know, travel, uh, being able to live a healthy life, whatever that means for person to person.
1: I think that we're going to have mm. a lot more time for those things. Yeah. And especially for the environment as well. When you're working from home, I- I've noticed that there are in-, in the city, especially there's a lot of um, buildings empty right now. I'm not sure how that impacts the economy. Uh, um, I, I really have to look into that as well. But I do know that the more we stay home, the less we go out in, in, in for work, uh, for commuting, for work. But that really, I think, is doing good for the environment, as in the roads are empty and there's not a lot of fuel being used. And we're working from home and all these mega lights in the city are not being used. And I think uh, yeah, th- th- I was just on the rooftop the other day with my friends just, just watching and drinking. And I thought about this and it felt really good, felt really good. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a different energy. And so in Metro Phoenix, there are quite a
0: few skyscrapers that are empty, as you (laughs) said, even where you're at. And there's talk of, are they going to be converted into residential units? You know, will the building be demolished, right? You hear lots of different conversations about what's the right next step to to utilize that building. And I, I think the right next step is to pause and do nothing. And Mm -hmm. I think it's just to uh, do what you just suggested a second ago, which is to just have time to think, have time to forecast, have time to brainstorm and collaborate with other people to say, let's not use old mental models to create the future, right? Because what got us here is not what's going to get us to the next level, right? And so we have to pause for a second as a society or as a community and say, what do we really want this place to be? And so mm-hmm. that means that we're going to have to really reconfigure the way that buildings are utilized. And so, if it used to be office space, maybe the highest and best use is it to be residential, or maybe it's to be something else. Maybe it's a co working space, or maybe it's a place for uh, people who are underprivileged to live. I don't know, right? There's got to mm-hmm. be something. But I hope that we pause long enough to think about our brothers and sisters who are very, very different from us in order to create a much more holistically aligned community not just one that serves one group and not another.
1: Mm. A friend of mine said in one of uh, our um, episodes that the success of a nation is determined by how the lowest, a person in the lowest class of society in terms of income uh, or social class is treated or how comfortable their lives are and uh, my friend reminds me of you as well you're very positive Michael I must say it's very your conversations lead to a very optimistic point of view which is great which is something we need in the world today do you think optimism just like yours or my friend like I mentioned or in general that humans need to be positive and optimistic and that is a determinant of true human potential? um yes and no right because i'm
0: you know we talked earlier about kind of eastern methodologies when you really think about life and when you think about the, the the what it means to be a human being right you're you have this soul that inhabits this body and then we have an ego which is how we interact with earth or how we interact with one another and whether you think about the christian ideologies of sin or whether you think about uh buddhist ideologies around suffering and the four noble truths We're in this place where Earth is designed to be uh, full of hardship or challenges or roadblocks because it's a place where we're designed, our soul is designed to learn lessons, okay? So I don't think that being 75 to 100% optimistic in our life is realistic, at least not in this version of Earth, maybe in the future. But what we experience today is, is that we have these lessons, this Earth school curriculum is what I call it. Right. Our soul comes to earth. We have this curriculum of things that we learn. Let's say that, you know, 25 to 50% of it is a little bit hard. It's a little bit negative, but it's what we grow from. Right. Humans don't remember words, they remember the emotions from experiences. And so we have to have experiences that are full of hardship. We have to have experiences that are full of joy. And so when I think about how I navigate my day or how I navigate uh, helping a client, it's always about, How can I help them release old, stale mental models of pessimism, of hardship, of challenge, and for them to see the challenges that they're encountering not as a pessimistic, negative, or bad thing, although it's easy to associate it with that, but to see it as an opportunity? Mm -hmm. And so, through all the hardship that I've already mentioned, already on the podcast, right, from you know having my wife leave me to challenges around the family business to you know exiting a relationship to wanting to commit suicide. I am really glad that all of those things occurred because I have an emotional resilience today that did not exist 10 years ago. And Mm. so I see the world in a much more expansive or optimistic lens today because I had those challenges because I've grown through them. And that's the key part is that we don't want to look at some of those challenges as being bad. They're Mm. actually a fuel to step up to your life's next level. So, whenever I'm confronted with a challenge, two, three years ago, I would have been very distraught by it. Now, I've learned that whenever I'm confronted with a challenge, it's the universe testing me because it knows I'm ready for my life's next level. Mm -hmm. So, I just want people to look at it through that lens to say, it's, it's not pessimism versus optimism. What it is, is that you're being confronted with a series of choices and decisions that the universe, God,
1: whatever you want to call it, is asking you to level up, and it's time to level up. Yeah. You know, just a few months ago, I was learning to drive, and that story reminded me of the time I was learning to drive, like the, uh, the, that particular month that I was really into that training. Now, I'd recently moved from Sydney to Canberra, and Sydney has a phenomenal trains network. Like, if you want to go from point A to point B, there's always a way to get there, but trains or buses, very convenient. Canberra is different. Like, you need to have a car. You need to have a mode of transport to get from point A to point B. And I'm 29, and I was just learning to drive. And I had so much trouble in Canberra, just going from point A to point B and just getting around. And I was locked into my house, even though there was not a lockdown, because I couldn't go anywhere. And I started um, and I started these lesson lessons, and the the instructor used to tell me things to do. And I think because I was 29, I was a bit matured. I had a better... I had better motor skills or I was more intelligent on the road, I think. And I learned it faster. But one thing that, that, that I realized and that reminded me from uh, from your story, Michael, is I was not scared. I was not afraid to go out on the road. Anything the instructor said, I would do it without a second question or without any doubt in my mind, not just letting him know. And I think that's because I knew that I needed to do this. Like, if I don't do it now, it's going to be late. And I have to, and all these years, You know, that I've taken the train or I've seen my friends drive. I couldn't go to the beaches by myself because I didn't have a car. And I thought to myself, if I don't do this now, it's going to be late. And you're capable of just doing it. If something goes wrong, it goes wrong. You're learning and you have the capability to fix it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's the part of the reason why I enjoy coaching so much is that (laughs) coaching is really a A manufacturer of intentional learning experiences for a person right and that that's really what it is is that coaches do two things right they're they're really asked to be wonderful listeners, and that's really what they're great at and number two is that they're they're great at asking the right how, what or why questions right and so when you think about someone's potential, it's like how do you improve through studying through training, through practice to reach some limit of your ability and what you just described was an awareness of you wanted to press, pressure yourself and put yourself into those challenging situations to get to that limit of your own ability. And so that when you reach this limit, all of a sudden, you know, in the next few months or next couple of years, you elevate to your next level, that next level of ability as we age. So I love Mm -hmm. what it is that you're doing and the way that you're describing it's a heel, because we each are confronted by that in our own respective ways and Mm -hmm. and at different phases of our lives. And so there's a wonderful book by a woman named Jennifer J. Deal. In the United States, she works for a company called the Center for Creative Leadership. And what her book is called, is called Retiring the Generation Gap. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I like the book so much, or I think it's important for human potential, is that she talks about the 10 principles by which all humans are the same. Now, undoubtedly, there are a lot of differences from geography to geography and all of the different ways that we are different. Don't get me wrong. But at our core, we all have very similar kind of principles or values, right? We want to be respected. We want to be able to trust or receive trust. We want to be able to, um, you know, be around credible leaders or credible friends. We don't like change naturally as a human species. We want to be able to learn as much as possible. We want to have a coach, someone that's there for us as we navigate life's tumultuousness. So when we think about potential, There are kind of core things that each of us can do for ourselves or for one another in order to unlock or help someone navigate to their next step, right? To get to that level of ability. So that's why I love the work that I do. And I love that you're giving people like me a voice to be able to say to people, it's okay to try. Even if you're doing it a little bit later in life, like learning to drive, it's okay to try because that's where the learning, that's where the growth comes from. So kudos to you, Sahil,
1: for doing that. Nah. yeah, it's um uh, learning to drive at least is life changing, and I think it's one of the most critical skills um that I've ever learned. Um, that and cooking. Uh, and and like you said, you know, human potential. We all have our own stories. There's like eight billion people, eight billion stories. Everyone has had a story, and everyone has goes through something. And um, it's very uh, it's hard for us to sort of generalize how human beings should live. But I think if you were to put number one, two, and three on, in terms of how we should live, I think the number one for me, um, at least, is empathy. Like human beings should be empathetic um, in any case possible. If you, even if you haven't gone through a certain experience, you should realize that we're humans, and humans have weaknesses, and humans have strengths as well. But we all make mistakes. And one of the things that I just can't um, grasp about people is someone getting angry at the other person because they're making a mistake. And uh, that especially happens in certain environments like a kitchen where it's a very fast-paced environment or even, well, I don't want to say the army because that's a completely different uh, environment. It's, uh, um, I don't want to get there. But just in just in normal life, people getting angry at the other person because they're making mistakes. And I think empathy has to be a default character, a characteristic in any human being. How do yeah. we develop empathy, Michael?
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, you nailed it in that um, it's hard because we, humans have so many things in common, so many similarities, but the media and society conditions us to believe that we're more dissimilar than similar, and it, it's just not true. So I refer to this sometimes as a generational curse or as uh, an inherited narrative. Right. So when we are born, right, when our brain's in that theta brainwave state, we are finding a way to uh, be acculturated into society. Right. So our parents are teaching us what it means to be a member of society. But oftentimes what they've taught us is not our true earth school curriculum. Right. It's not ours. And Mm -hmm. so we are taught this, but then we need to navigate basically from age six until about age 27, uncovering what empathy is, what earth school curriculum is, what our purpose is. We need to uncover that for ourselves, right? So empathy is a lot of different things from the standpoint of a person needs to be able to reflect back on their own past and to see how the events that transpired in their life shaped them, Mm. right? So when I look at past events that have occurred, especially the ones that are hard, I oftentimes ask clients to keep a pain journal. Right, So whenever today they're being confronted by pain repeatedly, I ask them for two to three weeks to track who was involved, what was the situation, why did they feel the way that they did, what was the outcome of the situation. And then after we've come up with data from the pain journal, we go back to their childhood, their teenage years and their 20s, and we say, let's talk about events that were similar feelings or emotions, right? Because whenever we're younger, we feel a negative emotion from a, from a, an event or a series of events. But undoubtedly, Later, some learning comes from that, Mm. right? So negative event, number two, find some sort of positive outcome, some lesson learned, some blessing that came from that negative event. And then number three, the most important piece is is that who have you then taught that lesson, right? Who have you then uplifted or helped? So when we think about developing empathy, it's really simple and coming back to ourselves and saying what shaped us, what were the negative events that, that transpired? What were the positive learning outcomes from those events? Hmm. And who can we help uplift? Because then all of a sudden, you are healing yourself, but you're also uplifting other people and seeing the humanity in them too, right? Which is absolutely key is that we need to understand that all persons have their own Earth school curriculum, but at their core, there's those 10 principles in which we're all the same. How it manifests for each of us is different, but we're all souls on this planet to learn an Earth school curriculum. And we're here to learn
1: it together, right? We're all connected in ways we can't see. Mm. Um, I think one of the biggest challenges there uh, for a lot of people to learn empathy there is um, not a lot of us have gone through very uh, deep experiences and (laughs) just going through the lows and the highs of life, just looking back and saying, man, that was a bad time. That was a bad time. And I'm lucky to be here because a lot of times we look back and see good times we we think about childhood and we see oh that was so good i wish i could go back but there are some things in life you look back and say that was definitely not a good time and i'm i'm in a much better place and i think uh, a lot of empathetic people that i've met have gone through those experiences and you can tell that if they look at other human beings and see and they embrace their their mistakes or they embrace their their weaknesses and say hey you know what it's okay and um i i think i'm lucky to say that a lot of my friends are like that they don't give a they don't give a shit and it's and i'd love to be around those kind of people it's like it's okay man it, that's yeah. fine let's 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 forget about that and then work through a certain problem yeah. well. there's something to be said for
0: um folks that fall into like when you think about the millennials those folks born between 1980 and 1996 where you think about the Gen Z folks who were born after 1996, probably almost until uh, 2010, 2015. I can't remember exactly what the cutoff is, but when you think about, it, there's a couple things that are shaping a, a younger generation versus a more experienced generation, and the reason why that's important is is that the traditionalists who were born before 1945 and then the baby boomers who were born between 46 and 63, they were raised at a time in human history where there wasn't a lot of affluence right around the world right the the size of economies were not that big there was it, so their their brains were hardwired from a very young age to think about safety and security and building savings accounts and and having a lot of money right they wanted those things for their own emotional safety but as society progressed and became more affluent we didn't have to worry so much about those base needs those biological needs or physiological needs or Kind of self-esteem needs that came from having a lower level of affluence. Now, in America this year, we're probably going to be a $23 trillion economy. Mm. And so for those folks who are millennials or those Gen Z people, they don't have to worry about safety and security because those base needs are met. So instead, they look at each other through the lens of self-actualization or transcendence. They look at it and say, this person's a soul here to learn something and to become self-actualize- self-actualized. And how can I, as I'm navigating self-actualization for myself, how can I then uplift and guide someone else to his or her version of it, mm. right? So there's a couple things, right? As you make this transition into the age of Aquarius, we're focused more just on people being their most authentic selves. But also in the last 50, 60 years, we've seen this rapid growth at affluence where the core needs of what it means to be a human being, they're met, right? We don't need to worry about those things at scale. Yeah. So. I think that younger folks are inherently more empathetic just because they were raised in a time where affluence was widely available. Mm -hmm. So, and sometimes, right, it differs on a soul-to-soul basis too. Sometimes we have what I talk about in my book as being a soul family, right? People that we uh, interact with in this particular life that teaches us specific lessons, right? So, people Mm -hmm. come into our lives to mirror for us, you know, specific lessons that we need to learn or teach us specific things, right? People come into our life for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. And so mm-hmm. when you think about your friends, right, you'll probably be able to categorize them into one of those three buckets. Mm-hmm. But it's those people that are with you for a lifetime that have the biggest effect
1: because they wholly accept you for you through mm-hmm. the mistakes and through the wins. Yeah. And that's such an important thing in order to just realize that, like you said, it's just... Having these people and then categorizing them into certain things and realizing who's who and who's more important, um, maybe that's the wrong choice of word as and who's more important. But just understanding that whoever is in your life right now, just embracing them and having them be a part of your lives and just opening up to them and just connecting with them, I think that's that's what we should strive for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's and that's why this earlier
0: this year I started something called the you and I know circle. Mm -hmm. And what it is, is it's kind of a reading group, but it's also an executive round table. And it's also a little bit of coaching from me. And I think for like, for you and I to have a back and forth dialogue, it's very simple for certain people in society, that type of openness and empathy and sharing of feelings or emotions is very difficult, right? They're just not at that level yet in their curriculum. So that's why I started the you and I know circle was to be able to allow for people. And I have 12 people in this group that they're learning from one another, right? So each Mm. of them is an executive in their own respective rights and in their own respective industries and professions. But there are certain things that they talk about, questions I ask, stories they tell, homework that I give them, that's really helping them to become more aware Mm. of the various things that are happening around them, right? Learn self-expression and learn uh, emotional uh, resilience or emotional intelligence at a much, much deeper level. So some people just come to Earth and kind of already have it or that capacity. Some come to Earth to learn those things, but the trick is always going to be: can you can you learn through the group or can you learn through the relationship? Right. The mm. human species was designed to learn through being together. Right? I agree. We were learned through that. We learned the most through that, if you will.
1: Mm. I agree. Um, I just had a Frank uh, Forensich on the podcast last week, and he's the writer of the book, The Sapiens Curriculum, and he talks about the same thing. He talks about being in a tribe and how important learning from one another is, and that took me back to the time I was in a group called the Toastmaster International. Have you? uh, Yeah. Yeah. So Toastmasters International, for the benefit of the listeners, um, is a group where the ultimate goal is to improve leadership and public speaking capabilities. But the way you do it is not through a class. The way you do it is learning from one another. You take up a certain role or responsibility. You progress through a certain level or a certain catalog. And ultimately, the goal is so that you can go up on stage and talk about anything that your heart desires or any topic that you're given. And that I think is such an important way of learning. Instead of having a teacher yell at you at the class for um, however, however many hours, you learn through one another. When you have a structure and you're learning through one another, it's it's just incredible. And your project, you said, you and me project, you said, yeah,
0: the you and I know circle. So the book that I wrote is called I Know. So mm-hmm. somebody, I don't remember how it happened. I think it came to me in the shower, honestly, which is kind uh-huh. of weird, but it came to me that way. Was that I was like. Somebody approached me and said, we need to do, you know, this group based on your book, but we didn't have a name for it. Yeah. And I think it came to me in the shower where I call it the you and I know circle.
1: It's, it's, it's a good name. I like it. It's, it's very catchy as well. You and I yeah. know. Yeah. yeah. So what exactly happens in this group? Yeah. So we meet every two weeks.
0: And uh-huh. so what I do is a, the week before the meeting is I put a series of questions, probably about six questions into a shared Google doc. And if the members want to be able to go in and look at those questions and think about them in the week leading up to our call, they can. So then what I do is I begin the call. They're 90 minutes in length. And so each, every other Friday, uh, American time, we we talk for roughly 90 minutes, sometimes two hours. But I ask them to share openly their wins or allow for members to recognize one another for accomplishments and things that they've done well. So we always begin with celebration. And then... What I do is I talk for five to 10 minutes about some particular topic or the theme for that particular chapter or that particular call, mm-hmm. and give them some background, some additional resources and things that they might not have had. And then we go into, you, know, 50 to 75 minutes of the six questions that I posed. And it's, so my job as facilitator is to just to get each person on the call providing some sort of an insight, whether they're sharing part of their story, whether they're sharing a resource and an idea to help someone else through a challenge or whether we're coalescing around some sort of an idea where people can partner together to solve something into the future. Mm. So start with the wins, a little bit of history or context or background about that idea, and then open dialogue for 50 to 75 minutes where people are just learning from each other. Because back to what you said, we learn best from one another. And then when we make commitments to one another at the end of phone call, what is it that we're going to work on? Now peer accountability kicks in. And mm. we actually get to the point of getting work done, people actually making progress in their life. So we, we, I've loved leading it, right? It's, it can be really emotional sometimes because things happen in people's lives, but it's also immensely beneficial to me, right? As the facilitator, mm. but also to the group because people are seeing that what they're going through is relatively normal and that there's ways through it safely.
1: Mm. Is, is this part of a program um, where, your, uh, so, is this part of your intention in order to make someone realize their life's purpose? Because you've talked quite a bit about purpose and why it's important in order to realize it and uncover that as well, and most importantly, live your purpose. Uh, so, I just sort of wanted to get into the definitions of what exactly they are because these are important things for sure. Having something to look forward to, but what exactly is it, and how yeah. do you how do you live your purpose?
0: So, w- when you think about um, the you and I know circle, is the core of it wanting someone to become their most authentic self? Yes, of course. Right. I want them to help release kind of these old stale mental models. I want them to be able to experiment. I want them to be able to walk to this. So when we think about someone's purpose, it's kind of this central motivation for someone's life or maybe the aim or the goal that they're striving to. Maybe some people refer to it as a, a direction, right? Or some, sometimes it's referred to as your why, right? Your mission. And so when I think about how do we uncover someone's purpose in chapter four of my book, I know I talk about five tools. And so I'll explain the process to you and that'll make it make sense is that if a person is unaware of his or her purpose, if a person is feeling disengaged, they're unhappy, they're not productive, they feel misaligned, this process can walk them to the place of being aligned, productive, happy, full of joy, feeling purposeful. Um, being in a good place, right? Naturally kind of optimistic and and happy. So what I do is I take five tools. And the first tool is something called the DISC assessment, which is a communications strategy assessment. There's Myers-Briggs and predictive index, and there's a lot of them out there in the market. I just happen to be certified to use the DISC. So the DISC is the kind of the, the, how we interact with the world overtly. Uh, Mm -hmm. And there's various styles and impacts that can happen to define someone's purpose based on the disc. And that's number one. Number two is their motivation. So I'm certified to use an assessment that tells us what our top three or four motivations are on a set of 12 motivations, right? So number one, communication preferences, how we interact with the world. Number two, what motivates us, this unconscious belief or motivation to do something that we wouldn't normally know unless it was called out. Yeah. Now, number three is our core values. And this is kind of like the lessons that we've learned over time, uh, the various ups and downs from our life, kind of the highs and the lows. What are your top core values? Number four is a Q&A. <clears throat> and so when you're looking at chapter four of my book, there's a series of questions about your past, about your present and about your future. And those are designed to help you get emotional clarity about what affected you to get you to where you're at today, but also what it is that you're driving towards. And then the fifth element or tool, as I call it in the book, is this idea of your authority. What are your strengths? What is it that's unique about you? What's different about you in the marketplace? Mm. So if you take this data about who you are, your disk, your motivators, your core values, uh, kind of this Q&A, some different phases of your life, and these strengths of this authority, you've got five really unique data points and data sets about who you are. So then what you can do is you can look across all of those data set points, and you can identify six, seven, or eight patterns or themes that run across all, right? So that's really powerful when you can have this kind of pattern where you see it pop up in multiple places in your life inside of the disk or inside your core values, or maybe you find it inside the motivations and you see it in the past, present, future questions and answers. Because when you see those patterns... That triggers the brain to think, okay, this is something that's repetitive and consistent in my life. I need to pay attention. Mm -hmm. So then once we have the patterns, we then write a person's purpose or mission statement. So the goal is to then use those patterns and that data to say, okay, what's really true about, in this case, Sahil, and then how do I convert that into his mission statement, his purpose? Mm -hmm. So that we write a mission statement, we use the top five or six core values, we write out a one paragraph unique value proposition for who this person is and then we set up personal professional and relationship based goals for him or her to drive to so mm-hmm. again purpose kind of these central motivations why you do what you do your life's mission i just happen to have a process that's pretty easy for a person to follow step by step by step to be able to uncover what their mission or their purpose or their brand might be mm-hmm. so it takes a little bit of work takes a little bit of reflection but it does get you to the point of saying, okay, like I can see that. So I've already said mine once, right? I exist to unlock human potential, right? I said it a little bit at the beginning of our show. Yep. And that comes out of the fact that when I was a robot in my family's business all those years ago, that when Pam, as a career coach, taught me how to be the authentic version of myself, it was at that point that I promised me myself that I was always going to help others uncover and become the most authentic versions of themselves. So Mm -hmm. I was not authentic. I learned how to become authentic. I now help others be authentic, Mm -hmm. right? And so people can always find their mission through that very simple process. What are the five data set points? What are the patterns across each? And then use that to write something that's very authentic for yourself. Mm -hmm. Now, your mission will probably shift and evolve a little bit over time, and I don't mean that the statement will shift or evolve, but what you how it manifests in your life will. So mm-hmm. when I first started as a coach, I wrote resumes, right? And then I did trainings on communication, and then I did executive or personal branding, and then I did um, more work around training and public speaking and organizational change and development. And then I published a book, and now I lead You and I Know Circles. Yeah. And so I'm still unlocking human potential, but as we navigate life and grow and develop, how it manifests is going to be different.
1: Mm. I love the fact that it's very technical, as in you've got a process all figured out. It's, it's not like asking a few questions um, to and fro and then determining, okay, this is your potential. But you're, you're sort of gathering information from your uh, from the other person and putting them in a sheet and then trying to figure out what really makes sense and what could be the purpose there. Um just so um, I get a better idea of what kind of purpose uh, people have around us. Or around you. Oh, can you give me an example of someone else's purpose? Like, you don't really have to mention the name of that person, but what could be a purpose or a mission statement for a human being or a, yeah. a particular person?
0: Yeah, yeah. In chapter four of the book, I kind of talk through a few of those things. And so I exist to unlock human potential. And every person does a little bit different.
3: But mm-hmm.
0: I'll give you an example of, I, I talk about in the book, I talk about a gal named Avni. And mm-hmm. so that's her stage name not her real name but Avni I talk about her in chapter 4 and Avni was raised in India and as a young child unfortunately she was sexually abused and so that drove her to the point of being very closed off uh very short always wanting to be alone not necessarily wanting to be with other people uh she just became very quiet even though she naturally is very extroverted and very people oriented mm-hmm. so she had this hardship in her younger years where uh, she felt very alone, uh, very abandoned, uh, wasn't really able to express herself. So then she ends up uh, coming to America years and years later and gets married. All of these wonderful things start to happen in her life, but she still felt like something was missing. Mm -hmm. So eventually she called me and we went through this process that I just described. And so after she told me her story and after we wrote her mission, she realized that her mission and I don't remember it word for word, but it is listed in the chapter, that her mission was to help others overcome that abandonment. It was to be able to market and share themselves, or it was to be able to create opportunities for collaboration in the community. Because when she was younger, she felt abandoned. She hid herself in the bedroom, right? She wasn't she purposely didn't spend time with people. So what she realized that her life's purpose was about was helping others to very authentically open up and share themselves in their respective communities. So now what she does, in addition to her full-time job, is, is that she volunteers with local not-for-profits that help women authentically mm-hmm. tell their story inside technology, right? Because she was in the tech industry.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: so it's, it's kind of the same thing. i worked with another guy named Tom who was very suppressed as a child. He realized that telling his story was going to come through building relationships and having a process for building relationships. So as he built his business, he built his business around helping other people form deep and meaningful relationships. So he was a kind of a communications trainer and coach because he didn't have that with his Mm -hmm. family. So the trick is always, what were those things that you did not have as a youngster? How did you then learn those things in your life? How can you now help others do that exact same thing? Yeah. So it just takes time for reflection to kind of identify those patterns and those themes in your life. And it works. Now, Mm -hmm. as you mentioned a second ago, Sahil, my process is pretty technical. It's pretty linear. Now, there are other astrology-based resources that can also be tapped into. Like There's one called the International Human Design School, and they do an absolutely marvelous job. You plug in some specific information about yourself onto a website, and it spits out a chart. And Mm -hmm. the chart can tell you effectively what it is that your curriculum on earth is or how you're going to interact with uh, earth. There's another app called the pattern. I don't know if you ever used this to heal. No. Okay. You got to check out the pattern because the pattern is uh, a plug in some birth information about yourself, but it'll tell you what your destiny is
2: Hmm. and
0: your destiny is effectively your life's purpose. And what's great about that app is that it tells you Hey, for this period of time, you're going to feel this emotion. For this period of time, you're going to feel this emotion, and here's what might happen. Mm. So, if you look at it through the astrology lens, human design or the pattern can really help bring clarity. Mm -hmm. For me, I realized that my audience wasn't always going to be into astrology. So, I wanted to give them a more factual, linear based process where they could do it themselves. And that's why the process is the way that it is, because I'm naturally introverted and linear in my brain. But I wanted yeah. to give other people an easy step-by-step for themselves.
1: Mm. I think uh, that comes back to what we talked about, empathy as well. Like, what hurt you most is something you want to help the world with. And mm. you don't want others to suffer through the same. Yeah. From-
0: you know, I, I say this, uh, the shortest way I've uncovered, and I did not come up with this, but I think it's really powerful, is somebody said, be the person you needed when you were younger.
1: Woo! <laughs> That's deep. <laughs>
0: But when I first read that or saw that, that I realized that that was kind of the the shortest, easiest, fastest way to describe Michael Seaver's purpose on Earth. Mm. Right? Is that I teach people how to be the person they needed when they were
1: younger. Yeah, that's that's so deep. And I think a lot of things we talked about today—it's all very interconnected, as in childhood, growing up, helping others, empathy, and just having this optimism. And life is such a beautiful journey, that's why, because it's it's like it's so easy to understand if you really think about it, but it's sometimes so hard to implement for yourself and it's just it's hard to do. It's hard it's easy on paper. it's, it's easy to think about, but then how do you really follow it is the real question. And I think this is where people like you come and sort of, you know, assist us in the journey as well.
0: Yeah, I agree in and- That's why I think, you know, for me to help people become authentic is that I'm really here to give people hope that they can do it. And that's why I've gone through uh, harder hardships earlier in life so that I would have the background and the experiences and the knowledge to be able to walk others through it when it was their time to navigate those phases. And so I, I feel very blessed that I look back at my life now as saying that many of those hardships on the journey, on that roadmap. Were hard, but they taught me really important things that allowed for me to advance spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically, all of that to really advance quickly.
3: Yeah. Um,
0: because, you know, in, when I was age 15, I was managing teams of people who were three times my age. And so it, you know, I was thrown into an environment of leadership and of management and of guiding others at a very early age. And so I'm 41 years of age this year. And so for 25 years, I've seen people navigate life. And I've watched what it is that triggers them to take action or what it is that triggers them to be in fear. Like I, I know those signs now in ways that I wouldn't have otherwise. And so if I can be a little bit of a, a lighthouse or a harbinger for change to let people know that you can overcome those feelings of fear, those feelings of doubt, those feelings of wonderment, and you can overcome it and, and access this much more utopian version of society or your life, I promise you it's possible.
1: Yeah, and you need someone like that in your life, as in someone to look forward to, or someone to, when you're moving forward, someone to look at the right or your left and see, okay, that person's with me there. That person's, when I'm giving a speech, that person's looking at me and nodding and smiling and supporting me. And yeah. that reminded me of something you said at the beginning of the podcast, is and you'd love to travel the world with your partner, Tiffany. And... um that got me thinking, you're very lucky because she messaged me um, on the platform and I got to know you then. And just this relationship that you have with someone you look forward to spending your life with and working together, understanding each other, not a lot of people are lucky with that. And a lot of it's important. And what's your perspective on this? Having someone you who want in your life, who's working with you in order to achieve your personal goal or their personal goal together.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It is pretty unique. And, you know, having been in a long-term relationship throughout high school and college, and then I was married, you know, and we were in that relationship for eight years. I had two uh, other relationships that were about two years each. And then I was, of course, with Max when we were together for just over six years. And so I've seen iterations of relationships where things didn't work out. And Mm -hmm. so I come from that place of lack and it taught me an awful lot. So in the year 2019, uh, when I was single and really trying to find a balance for myself, um, I made a list of character traits that my partner was going to have to be. Right. And it was, I was very distinct and clear about what that was going to be for me. Mm -hmm. And that if, if the person that I met was not going to meet those lists, I was not going to to go on a date with her.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: So, you know, when I think about Tiffany and my relationship today, it, uh, it's very unique in that it is a relationship that I had longed for for a very long time, but it takes work, right? Because we have to spend an awful lot of time and dialogue. So yes, we're now we work together, but we set up structures and systems that allow for the work to be very simple, mm-hmm. right? Like a code word, if one of us is saying something that's hurtful to the other person, or we meet every Monday and Friday at 9am to talk business stuff. Or when we're on the weekend, we know that we just don't talk about work things, right? So we set up structures and systems that allow for open communication to occur. Hmm. And so the way that it works is, is that for a few months, she is definitely helping me to grow and build my business. And now that we've moved to North Carolina at the beginning of 2022, she's going to launch her own business and roles will switch a little bit and I'll step in and help her build. But what I really want people to take away from this is that I had to go through the hardship and despair of seeing relationships not work. I had to take time to get hyper clear on myself and how I was contributing to those relationships working and not working. Mm -hmm. And then I had to set a set of criteria that if my partner was these things, then yes, I would date her. If they weren't, then I would not. And then I have to sit. I mean, I, I meditate each morning for 20 minutes, but the sitting in that meditation is absolutely critical because I recognize myself repeating old habits and behaviors that were detrimental to my exes.
2: Hmm. And
0: then I recognize when I'm doing things that she genuinely wants. So we openly talk about our communication preferences, our core values, our goals, the things that we're trying to accomplish, because then it helps both of us check ourselves, right? Instead of just saying something emotional, it helps us come back to the basics and say, this is a unique soul who's here to grow and develop. I'm a unique soul who's here to grow and develop. How do we genuinely do this together? What sacrifices do we need to make for ourselves and one another? Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of concerted efforts to heal, but it's really meaningful and valuable. But the journey to get to this point was the thing that allowed for this to be as good as it is.
1: Yeah, it takes a lot of work. And you don't see that. For me, it was easy to say that, you know, Michael, you're lucky because you've got someone you can work with and rely on. But there's a lot of work, like you said, on your end as well. And a lot of people ask this question, um, is it ever too late? Is it ever too late to find someone you love? Or is it too late to find a good job that you like? Or is it too late to find your purpose? And does age matter? Because for someone who's growing up, let's say, for example, the age of 25 and 26, I know when I was 25 and 26, I was freaking out because nothing was working out for me. Because things were good. I was living a good life. but. I think the the dreams and aspirations you have when you're 18 or 17, they really start haunting you at the age of 25 because you you say, okay, by 30 I'm going to have A, B, and C, and then things are not working out, and you get anxious, and all these desires that you have, they make you a much... They sort of uh, make you anxious because, like I said, it's not working out. Is it ever too late? No, not even
0: close. And This is the thing, is that For quite some time, I've followed the old Swiss psychiatrist. His name is Carl Jung. And so he, years and years ago, developed the four stages of life. And they're the athlete, the warrior, the statement, and the spirit. And each of us goes through those four phases at different times in our life, right? It's not something that's set in stone. And so when we remember that and we recognize that we transition between those four stages at different times for ourselves it gives us more creative license as to when things occur, right? I didn't meet Tiffany until I was 39 years of age, right? I had a lot of relationships prior to age 39 that were not good, mainly because of my own doing. So when we think about finding the right career or finding the right partner, it doesn't matter if you're 25 or it doesn't matter if you're 55, you deserve it. And it's creating the right atmosphere in your own heart or in the environment around you to welcome that partner in. So when we think about this, the astrologists say that age 28, 29, which is where you're at right now, Sahil, is that uh, we all go through something called a Saturn return at age 28. And what that means is that something shifts in our life. And like for you, it's probably the move, right? You recently moved and that was a big shift and it's really expanding your awareness and consciousness of what life is. So we all do it. Like I got married uh, in 2003. So at age 28, the thing that shifted my life was the divorce and starting school at the mm-hmm. master's degree. So, that was a big transformation. So, if everybody listening can think back to age 28 or they're about ready to encounter age 28, just remember that you're going to go through a big change. But what it's designed to do is to help you shed the things from the first 28 years of your life that you no longer need those beliefs and patterns of beliefs that you were taught to be right, or what society says was right, or what your parents said was right. And you're like, nah, I don't need all that. I need this right here. And you get really focused in on what matters to you most. So, There is never a right time. It doesn't matter if it happens at 25 or at 55. What matters is that you continue to navigate life, learning and growing and developing and creating the right atmosphere for that right partner to come
2: Mm. or the
0: right job to come. And then as you age and grow and develop and society shifts, it's going to change again. Right. And so you have to be constantly learning, growing and developing as society matriculates because you want to make sure that you continue to show up for that partner or for that career in a really meaningful way.
1: Yeah. And I was just having this discussion with a friend the other day and we were talking about how our lives have changed and how we were five years ago because I've known that friend for quite a bit. And we noticed a pattern. We noticed Mm -hmm. a pattern that life changes every four years. And Mm -hmm. someone someone who hasn't been going through a good time or uh, today will certainly have a much better life in four years, and uh, in eight years' time, it's going to be a whole new story. And uh, what you said reminded me of um, just that conversation and the, uh, that I was having with friends. And and it seems like um, astrology or just understanding of how the universe works has really impacted you and your thought process. Is there an inspiration for this, or is it a certain thing that started all of this? Yeah, you know,
0: it's a great. I'm glad that you picked up on that. So, he'll thank you. And it. Mm. it It was something that I really wasn't ever really into prior to 2017. And then I just happened to meet uh, what's referred to as a Reiki master or energy healer. And uh, that session with her uh, really opened my eyes to the difference between the human ego and the soul and really what it is that it means to be a human and how we're all connected. And so I started to look at uh, things like energy and things like emotions and things like our souls work on earth radically differently after I had that session in October, 2017 with her, because prior to that, I just had no clue. I had no idea what mm. any of it was, right? I was just kind of navigating life. But since then I have spent uh, a pretty fair amount of money on engaging energy healers, Reiki masters, executive coaches. Uh, prior to moving to North Carolina, I hired what's called an astro cartographer, which is an astrologist that plugs in your birth information into a system and it tells you where on earth you should live Mm -hmm. for the best energy field uh, or where on earth you should do business for the best opportunities to assist and and grow others. And so prior to 2017, I didn't really know that this part of life existed, but Mm -hmm. I've slowly in the last four to five years been learning more and more about it, been engaging it more, been spending more time in meditation or doing yoga or going on retreats to learn more about that part of my, my being. Mm. And it has helped me tremendously. Now, I introduced these ideas inside the book really intentionally to just get people to think about it a little bit, but it's not something I'm versed enough because I don't do it every day yeah. to really know a ton about it or to be able to speak about it in depth because I'm just not that person. I'm the executive coach, right? I deal with corporations day to day to day, Yeah, but love it. And I'm intrigued by it. And I'm for the rest of this life going to learn a lot more about it.
1: Mm. What was your result? Where
0: should you live (laughs) when you put your information (laughs) in it? Yeah, it was, that was a really
2: fun, it was
0: an awesome session. And so. Um, what we found was that we had very strong, positive, supportive lines up and down the East coast of America. Mm -hmm. And that solidified for us, the reason, uh, or the choice to come and live in North Carolina because those things were there. We, we were open to a lot of different areas and I had actually been given a job offer in the San Francisco Bay area to be a coach for a very large organization. And then after having the conversation with the astro cartographer, I realized that taking that role. Uh, or doing that role was not going to be appropriate, that mm. it was actually better for us to to live in North Carolina, and it just so happens uh, that I have very strong energy lines to do business in the Middle East and in the western part of India. Mm. so um I wouldn't have known that otherwise, but now I'm thinking about, okay, I'm in this great place for my life to live personally and professionally up and down the East coast of America, but I need to start opening doors professionally to be able to guide other people. Mm -hmm. in the uae right or in saudi arabia or in the western part of india and now that i know that i can now start to do business in those places and prosper in ways that i wouldn't have otherwise
1: yeah and you know growing up in nepal which is very close to india and (coughs) very close to the uae of course as well and we had this conversation earlier in the podcast as well that there is something about asia which i love i mean i may be biased because i grew up there but But there's something about the society. There's something about the people. We're all very motivated. We're all very aware of what's happening. We can use the internet. We can do things on the internet. We can make sharp analysis. I think the only thing that sometimes gives Asians a bad name in certain countries is the politics or the you know how the country is governed by certain people who are way out of reach of the normal population there even in nepal we are so much aware of what's happening and the population is so smart but nepalese aren't really known to be that tech savvy we are all known to be sherpas which is a thing of the past Uh, but i agree to uh what you said i think if um you know if a lot of people could tap into the Asian market or the Indian market. It, it's, it's a lovely place out there. And the society is very collective as well. As in, we think about other people. We live in tribes. We live in joint families. You cannot get away from people. You're always in, in small societies with a lot of people there. And yeah. sometimes it may sound to be inconvenient, but I think that is one big ingredient to a happy life.
0: I agree. Yeah. And that's, that was really what stuck with me in 2009 when I was traveling around China. It was the deference and respect for elders. It was kind of the collective mindset, the wanting to be in families, uh, wanting to have intentional experiences with your family. Uh, That was something that I obviously didn't experience much as a child or in my teenage years. And so the stark contrast really stood out to me. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what really drove me down the path of wanting to learn to speak mandarin chinese and when i started to speak the language and i started to dream in mandarin chinese i knew that i had integrated a different part of myself into my being that didn't exist before right being able to think and dream in a different language was really powerful for me but i always loved that focus in on um, this kind of like collective family unit again because it didn't really exist for me much when i was young and so Part of the reason Tiffany and I have chosen to live in this part of the United States is is that that the housing's a bit more affordable than what it was in Phoenix, Arizona. So we can get a little bit more house that has a little bit more space to allow for friends and family uh, Mm -hmm. to come and visit and for us to have more time with them. And so we intentionally did that because I have a niece and nephew who are roughly 10 and 13 years old. Tiffany has a a nephew who was just born a few weeks ago. And we wanted to have place where we could gain very easy access to them or they had very easy access to us and we could spend weekends or we could spend a week just being members of a family right just having those unique experiences together so there's always been something about the family unit for me with with Mm. countries in asia um but it's also kind of like the the more buddhist sometimes even the confucian approach to life where it was a much simpler, it was like this holistic approach to the soul and the human body coalescing and being one together. There was something about that that always stuck with me that I didn't always understand or know until October 2017, mm. right? When I had those experiences dealing with the energy worker and I was like, okay, now it's all starting to click and I'll come back together for me. So, if we could have much more of that Eastern methodology idea and thought come into Western nations. I think we have a much better chance of healing a lot of the divide that exists.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and I think that um, the Eastern way of life is just—it just makes someone happy, in my opinion. Because I've I've seen best of both worlds. I love Australia. I love the country. It's 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 near perfect. Like there there are problems out here, but it's just it's it's a beautiful place to live. It's it's incredible. But I think what's missing sometimes, I feel, is that human connection. You see your neighbors, you say hello or good, good day, good morning. Uh, and there's always that, uh, that good rapport you build with other people. But that connection, that intimacy, that, that rapport you have, the, the emotional rapport you have is really prevalent in Asia. It's, it's really out there and I can feel it. Yeah. And uh, sometimes I'm jealous of my friends who live in Nepal. That you know they've got this really amazing way of life where they take care of each other, and um, yeah, Markly, if you were to ever visit, visit Asia, you'll you'll really enjoy the the atmosphere there.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think maybe that's part of your work, uh, Sahil, right?
1: And this visit to
0: Earth, is that you get to take some of those various things that you loved so dearly about Nepalese culture, and you get to distill them into Australian culture, mm-hmm. right? And that's that's a really wonderful thing to have done, right? I, you know, uh, as a person who understands an awful lot about Eastern methodologies or about energy work or about communication, right? Having all of these experiences, having all of this training that I now get to distill that in places that I wouldn't have before. And yeah. so that's the thing is that you get to share some of these blessings with others or create those communities or create those kind of environments that feel like family. You get to do that now through mm-hmm. the podcast or through... You know, your own version of creating it in the community in which you live, that matters immensely. So we take all these wonderful experiences we've had and we now find a way to be able to share that with those other people around us. Mm. Right. And to me, right, that
1: is really living the most deeply meaningful and authentic life that we could. Yeah. I think you're right. Because when I'm with my friends or I'm hanging out, I always make sure I go. I go full on as in there is no compromise in terms of you know what you do for your friends where if you, you know if you're in a party you give a hundred percent of yourself in that party you're not always thinking about yourself you're thinking about other people as well and I do try to do it because that's what I miss and I think it's my responsibility to bring a part of Asia with me into the western society here yeah, yeah. I agree yeah
0: see we're, we're can... uncovering your purpose live in real time <laughs> <laughs> exactly <Yeah.
1: laughs> Uh Michael this is incredible. I I'm glad I didn't read your book as uh, as of now because you know it's it's been uh, amazing just talking to you about all these all of these human characteristics and important traits that we should have and how do we uh, unlock human potential and what our purpose is and learning about your story as well. And um I just wanted to ask you about uh your cat Cleo. So is is she um is she around or Yeah. Oh perfect. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah. So thankfully, you know,
0: uh, I received her years ago as an unexpected Christmas gift. So (laughs) it's I think she's yeah, really unexpected. So she is nearly eleven human years old, right? So she's all right. So she's a little bit older, and thankfully, the trip to North Carolina has softened her up a little bit. So Mm. back in December 2011, she was given to me as a gift. And so for years, she was always a very independent gal, didn't really spend a whole lot of time with me. She loved to be able to escape the house and be gone for two or three days at a time.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: and then for some reason in that moment, right, when I was really contemplating suicide, she showed up for me, right? There was a different connection that mm-hmm. I didn't know existed from her. So, you know, over the last couple of years, uh, Tiffany and I lived in a little bit of a smaller house. And so Cleo would, she loved to play in the backyard. She loved to be able to hang out with Tiffany's dogs. but. It's so cool that in like the last two or three weeks that we've been here in North Carolina, I've seen this much softer side of Cleo that I wasn't mm-hmm. expecting to see. And so she's cuddling a little bit more. She's wanting to spend a little bit more time with us. If we're watching TV or reading a book. And so I am so thankful that she has even gone through her own growth spurts, if you will, of yeah. being this kind of stray independent gal to helping me you know, navigate life and understand that I'm supposed to be here for a reason. In that now she's getting to that phase where she's just a little bit more open, a little bit more soft, a little bit more loving. So yeah. I feel immensely grateful for that.
1: There's something about pets and your relationship with pets, right? Uh, unfortunately, um, when I was in the back in 2016, the last time I was there, uh, we had a pet. And um, unfortunately, he passed away uh, in 2021. Uh, I think it was in around March or April. So I hadn't seen Romy, who's my pet, for five years. Uh, but my hmm. parents and my sister and my dad and mom in Nepal, they, yeah, it was it was a very bad time for us because he passed away in 2021. And I remember, I hadn't seen him for five years, but my sister gave me the news that he passed away. And I remember going out into the field. It was a large oval and I cried my eyes out and I hadn't seen, seen him for years. And I was with him for about three years then. But that relationship was just, you can't really describe it, right? It's, yeah. it's just
0: that's so true. It's like we, like people are starting to understand through quantum mechanics and quantum physics, just how connected everything is. And, you know, I, I really do believe that earth is kind of like an energetic hologram, right? We're, we're all here connected to one another. We're supposed to meet at specific points of time. We're all connected, but that means that we are connected to mother earth. Mm. That means we're connected to the animals, right? Like Romy or Cleopatra that, you know, they really come into our life for a purpose, right? They come in to teach us something. Uh, and they're there for us in those challenging moments. So I hope that Cleopatra has another ten years in her because she has been that powerful and that meaningful. So I'm I'm sorry that Romy left, you know, recently, mm-hmm. um, but I'm glad that you honored his life in the way that you did because mm-hmm. Pets Super Duper are connected to us.
1: Yeah, Michael, it's been fun. It's been incredibly fun. Yeah, thank you fun. so much,
0: man. I appreciate you.
1: Yeah, not a problem at all. And um, I'm sure anyone listening to this conversation is going to thoroughly enjoy it. So how do we get in touch with the, uh, your website or your book? If you could just give us a uh, bit of uh, a brief explanation about that.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the, the website is michaelssever.com. Two S's in the center there because my middle name is Scott. Uh, so there's a lot of information on the website. It's a repository, if you will. Uh, so lots of articles and blogs, uh, quite a few video interviews. I have three online courses, some free downloads, uh, a bunch of media mentions. And so if any person is really looking to make that transition and transformation from disengaged and unhappy and unclear about his or her life's purpose, there are various types of resources on the website that will get that person to the point of authenticity, right? To that point of clarity. So michaelsiever.com. And I'm relatively active on LinkedIn and Instagram, but just go to the website. I think that's the best place. And so I'll, I'll hold it up here so you can see it, Sahil. Mm-hmm. But the book is yeah. called I Know. It's a practical guide for awakening to what's within and finding work-life integration. And yeah. this book is um, it's, what it is. It's, it's kind of my life story and some of the things we've discussed today. But it is available, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Apple, Google, pretty much anywhere that you want to be able to buy a book. And it's available in print, it's available in ebook, and it's available in audiobook book if, if somebody were to want it. Mm-hmm. But the way that we structured the book was it's three sections, right? So there's an introduction about my interaction with Cleopatra. And then the first section is about how do you end and let go of an old version of yourself? <clears throat> how do you overcome fear? How do you process loss? What do you do with emotional release? second sections, chapters four, five, and six, we talked about chapter four earlier about how do you uncover your mission and your values and your goals and the unique value proposition. Chapter five is about how to be very emotionally intelligent. And chapter six is about how do you start shifting into a new identity for yourself, right? So mm-hmm. how do you experiment and how do you come up with that? And the third section of the book is very much about how are we starting to move forward in our life? And it's about how do you lead an engaged team, How do you share your brand with the world? And then how do you become a coach to coaches? So I designed it intentionally to have three phases, if you will, uh, throughout. Mm -hmm. And then each of the respective phases or parts had three chapters. And each chapter is a story either about me or a client story. And then we see some research to kind of support and back up the story. And then I give a five or six step process that anybody can follow to be able to do that specific thing that that chapter talks about, right? Overcome Mm -hmm. a fear, become your most authentic self, whatever. And then I close with kind of a short story. And at the very end is like, here are the key takeaways that you probably learned when you read this chapter. Mm -hmm. So michaelssever.com is the website. You can learn an awful lot about the book there, but I know is the name of the book. It's available at 40,000 retailers around the world. So you can find it most anywhere. Um, But again, if you're looking to go from that point of not feeling clear to that point of clarity, either the website or the book will get you there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'll put the links on the des- descriptions as well. And um, I'll definitely, I'm looking forward to reading a book. I'm preparing a download on Kindle from Amazon. And uh, just to sort of validate what we've discussed today and then what we learned from that book and just to have that the clarity. And I'm sure I'm sure you and I, Michael, and anyone listening to this podcast or anyone, anyone in the world, uh, we've got a lot of potential in us and things will happen for good. Oh, for sure. There's no doubt. It's We have a couple of more
0: months, like I talked about earlier, getting over some hardships and some dark stuff coming to light. But there's a very, very good version of Earth coming soon. So we just got to be persistent through it, and then we can all be in a very good place.
1: Absolutely. All right, cheers, Michael. It was incredibly fun. And um, this podcast will be available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any other major um, podcast listening platform. And the video version is going to be available on YouTube as well. Uh, once uploaded, which is probably going to be in about um, two or three weeks, uh, I'll send you a link to that as well. And uh, yeah, we'll take it from there. All right. I appreciate you, Sahil. Thank you. And not a problem at all. And we'll do it again in the future, sometime soon. And uh, But thank you for your time, Michael. It's my pleasure. Thank you. And thanks for listening, ladies and gentlemen. That was Michael S. Siva for episode number 26 unbottled.